0: Alex like and I'm Ty Fu. and I'm feeling a, a, a sense of deja vu right now, because it was, it was not 10 months ago that I was sitting exactly where I'm sitting right now, which is actually, I'm not sitting where we usually record, usually I'm like in an office in my basement, right now I'm on a couch, and I'm watching the Wild Golden Knights late game, much like back on August 1st, 2020, after the Canadians upset the Pittsburgh Penguins in Game 1 of their series, I came down here and recorded a late-night podcast with you while watching the late game, which I think was like Calgary-Winnipeg, or something like that. And now, tonight, Game 1 against the Maple Leafs, I would say, uh probably about this a, a similar level of favorite to underdog ratio in that Penguin series as in this one, which is to say Montreal is the heavy underdog and they won game one again. And I'm sitting in the exact same spot talking to you again under a year later. Yeah, uh, here we are back
1: at it. The Habs uh, seemingly not looking like they belong shortly before the playoffs start. Um, you know, they were in 12th place last year. And uh, yeah, apparently game one, they're ready to go and they pull something out of their ass. Uh, and so, yeah, let's, well, first you have to address the fact, uh, we have to address the, uh, the very unfortunate event that happened during the game, right? Uh, John Tavares took, uh, a Corey Perry knee to the head and, uh, uh, yikes, that was tough to watch. And, uh, yeah, so we can presume that, uh, he's out for the series and for a while because, uh, yeah, like, you know, my, I was watching the game with my sister and she kept, she was like, man, they sure do show that replay a lot for for an injury that they don't they, you know, they say, "Oh, that's terrible to watch." They sure do fucking show the replay a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a that was a moment there. I mean, uh yikes. I mean, he was woozy. He was fucking out of it. There was that one scene where they tried to get him up and he just ah, that was tough to watch.
0: Yeah, that was that was scary too, especially they tried to lift him up right away and he kind of looked for a second like he was about to lose consciousness or, or faint and it was really scary one of those rare hits or not a hit but you know one of those rare injuries that really fully sucked the life out of the game a lot of obviously well, assume all Habs fans will remember game one another game one in the playoffs of the 2013 playoffs uh Lars Eller was knocked unconscious by a, a hit by Eric Greiba and I actually uh was live at that game it was very scary to just see him, and I was relatively a new hockey fan at that point. I'd only been a fan for like about two years, and I'd never really seen a situation like that where a player just gets knocked down and he was fully still. And it was just you know, there was no energy in the building pretty much for the rest of the game. And I know obviously there were no fans in this Leafs Habs game to begin with, but it really did feel like it had the same effect, especially. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, uh. I don't even know what those those people are, doctors, paramedics, whatever. I was under the impression that if you think someone might have like, I don't know, a head injury, a neck injury, it's best to leave them lying down and not try to, to make them sit up too fast before you're sure it's safe to do so. Uh, I'm not coming from a, a place of personal knowledge or experience in saying that, but I saw some people who know a lot more than I do uh, criticizing those those doctors for that. And, I mean, it showed. And just from the, the raw visual of it, it looked like that situation wasn't approached approach the best. Uh, luckily, you know, Tavares did give the, the thumbs up on the way out. It's a good sign that, you know, he he's he's feeling all right. Well, not feeling all right, but all things considered. If you can give the thumbs up, that's definitely a good sign. And yeah, as for showing the replay over and over and over again, I know you don't have much else to show on the broadcast, especially as you're as you're waiting for, you know, them to get John Tavares onto the stretcher and get him off the ice, but please, people really don't want to watch that again, all right? I, I, I pretty much started looking away after, like, two or three replays. I was like, all right, I, I don't need to see this anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I get the effect of, like, you know, you can't look away from a car crash, but, like... For fuck's sake, you show maybe once or twice, and enough is enough. You know, people get the guys injured. Uh, we don't need to see the whole day. De- yeah, so I was also like at one point I couldn't watch anymore. I was like, yeah, okay, they're showing the replay. Let me look away before he gets hit in the head. Uh, and so yeah, that's kind of brutal. But uh, yeah, you definitely hope. Yeah, you, you you know, first and foremost, uh, you hope that uh, you know, John Tavares is okay and that uh, he can get up to to full health soon. Uh, you know, sooner than later. Uh, just from a person's perspective. But yeah, I felt like you know it that, that 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 one injury it cast a shadow over the entire game and mm-hmm. i don't know maybe it was also just combined with the fact that it was pretty fucking low event hockey um but uh i don't know this was this was uh, it wasn't high event hockey that's for sure and uh like the energy was low and i feel like is this the formula for the Habs to win moving forward you just kind of like clamp uh, down on the leaves i don't think it's sustainable and i don't think it's a particularly good way to play hockey but I feel like Ducharme, seeing this the way they went tonight, I feel like this is the way he might be going moving forward. And, uh, you know, I can't say I agree. But, I mean, look, they... Okay, and the one thing we're going to have to get to eventually is uh, the weird-ass roster decisions that they made heading into this game. We will. Well, like, yes, we definitely I, will. I am worried uh, for the long-term, like, series-long health of this uh, team's success that uh, this Game 1 kind of validates Ducharme's approach, both in roster, but also in like game style.
0: Yeah, well, I agree with you somewhat, but playing high-event hockey against this Leafs team that's way, way more skilled than you is probably a recipe for failure. So, if you are playing low-event, I do think that gives you a better chance from Montreal's perspective, and that was proven tonight. Uh, but before we move on from uh, from the Tavera stuff, there were, there were two other things I wanted to mention about it. Uh, one of them is the fight that came right after I feel like we should probably mention this. All right, first of all, I don't think anyone, uh, I don't even think uh, any of the Leafs players or Nick Foligno really believes Corey Perry had any sort of malicious intent. It was, was, you know, a last second thing. Everyone knows it because, unfortunately, everyone had to watch it multiple times. He was trying to jump out of the way, and it was a freak accident that his knee hit Taveras in the head. Uh, And, okay, Corey Perry, obviously, you could tell immediately after, he felt very sorry, rightfully, about what had happened. Uh, and it seemed that he really didn't want to fight Nick Foligno about it. And okay, it's one thing, this this dumb code, if, you know, a player, uh, like, say what happened, people were talking about like the Alex Edler, Wayne Simmons, uh, Zach Hyman situation from uh, the regular season, where Alex Edler kind of had a, a, a dirty neon knee on knee on Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman uh, missed a stretch of time. Alex Edler got suspended, I think, for a game or two. And afterward, Wayne Simmons fought Alex Edler. It's one thing if there actually is, you know, a hit that you want to get Vengeance for. I still think it's pretty idiotic. But this is a whole new level of idiotic when this was clearly a freak accident. And, you know, if both players want to, I don't know, re-energize their team somehow, maybe you could Galaxy brain it into making sense. But this just seemed like, like a, a situation where the code is practically indecipherable yeah it's so stupid and it
1: just it's, it only serves to like make you feel worse while you're watching the damn thing as a fan you know like mm-hmm. you see something very unfortunate happening it's an accident nobody's none of the fans are like oh you know get him ah we gotta get him as an act of revenge uh and then you're like okay someone just got their brain beaten in uh let's watch two other people try to brain- beat each other's brains in it makes no fucking sense um, so from a player safety perspective, like it's gross. You don't want to see that. Uh, and I mean, yeah, it's dumb as hell. It makes no, absolutely no sense. I mean, uh, look, uh, you know, as you said, you know, like if it's an intentional thing, you know, you want to get some retribution, I guess, you know, that makes more sense potentially, uh, you know, that putting aside the stupidity of like, okay, eye for an eye, let's get at this. Um, but, but that aside, but like, this is just so dumb. Uh, I think everybody on the ice you knew that this clearly wasn't intentional. I mean he tried to jump out of the way for crying out loud and it was like, oh yeah, let's 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 get this out of the way. Let's let's uh let's fight. Let's you know, it's it's just it's all so stupid. What the hell are we doing here, people? And uh yeah, it's just mm-hmm. yeah, it goes back to the culture. Like uh it's, it's so it's all fucking dumb. It's all these people, you know, making up with all this made up shit that like, you know, ah it sounds like a bunch of four year olds made this crap up, you know, like, oh you injured my friend. <laughs> uh let's fight now, let's wrestle. <laughs> um, let's steal your pencil. Yeah, exactly. It gives exactly the same kind of vibes. It's also stupid. It's uh and it's you know. Yeah, I mean look, Perry clearly felt bad about it. Uh what more do you want? Apparently what the least want is for him
0: to fight. Like it's just bro, you don't see this in, you don't see this anywhere else. It's all stupid. hmm Yeah, I also want to shout out Kyle Dubis, um, because I honestly think he is What all GMs should strive for, not just in you know, he's done a pretty good job constructing the Leafs, but also uh, we heard about this uh, about a year and a half ago when Ilya Mikheyev had that uh, really bad injury. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think he was in the hospital for a few days, and the Leafs were on a road trip. But Kyle Dubas stayed behind, uh, helped out Ilya Mikheyev, helped out, helped him out with like his groceries, running errands for him. And that's great for not just because you know it's great to attract players if they know their GM will you know go the extra mile and really does care about them and their well-being but also I feel like just from you know making my my judgments on seeing Kyle Dubas face and the the, the the panic he had kind of uh, you know jogging down to check on John Tavares as he was taken off the ice is that it really does come from an authentic place of worry and caring about his players on a personal level and I really do wish that uh, other GMs I'm, I'm not saying they're you know fully cold hearted, but if they would show that they cared more about players from time to time with, you know, an injury, things like that, I think that would be really nice.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kyle Dubas, unlike most of these other GMs, uh, shows moments where he actually seems human. Um, you know, like, uh, whether it's the McKay situation or today, uh, and, uh, a lot of these GMs, uh, not much. And they're, they're all like, and, you know, that's probably an indication of what their are where their head is at, you know, uh, a little bit crazy, you know what I mean? Like you know, just geared towards hockey. All oh, we're trying to win the cup, and all that. You know, the extreme is obviously Lou Amorello, who's uh, you know, completely whacked out of his mind. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's, it's nice to see. It's definitely nice to see. You know, uh, it seems like a genuinely good guy. Kyle Dubas does. Um, and uh, yeah, those little touches, you know, rushing downs. He's genuine concern. Um, it's nice to see in a league where. Uh, it just seems that there frankly isn't enough of that, uh, especially what the conversation we were just talking about with that dumbass fight. Um, so yeah, shout out to Kyle Dubas. Seems like a cool guy.
0: Yeah, uh, as for the game, um, I was half expecting, uh, I, I was thinking after the, the Tavera's injury in the back of my mind, I feel like whoever gets the first goal is going to win. I know that tends to be the pattern anyway, but it felt especially true in this game because either the Leafs would score and it would kind of really enforce this, you know, win it for the captain, win it for Johnny thing that would give them adrenaline for the rest of the game. Or I'm thinking if first, you know, Tavares goes down and then the Canadian score soon after that would be incredibly deflating the Maple Leafs. And I think that's, that's really what, what it turned out to be. Josh Anderson scored the first goal, I think like three minutes later. And it felt like for the rest of the game, the Leafs were never that scary. They were, I mean, you know, not at all on their A game. And I, I mean, I imagine that John Tavares had something to do with it. Maybe I would have expected them to, you know, you know, rally behind, win it for Johnny or whatever you want to say a little bit more than they did. Uh, but I don't know. It just felt like for long stretches of the game, it was just really hard to get a read on it because neither team, probably more so the Leafs, really felt like they were they were fully engaged and they were in the zone, which is really understandable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely attribute it to, I think the Leafs, to some extent, were shell-shocked by the whole Tavares thing, and very understandably. Um, that is uh, quite a traumatic event to, to like witness firsthand for a guy that you know. Um, and so, yeah, it really... You know, like, and, and the whole, like, Winifred Johnny thing, I feel like that's more effective if you actually have, like, a reason to, uh, like, s- like you feel slighted by the other team. But this feels like such a freak accident, you know, with the with the knee and everything. It's just like, you know, like, ah, oh, fuck, this kind of happened, you know. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like, it really just kind of gave that vibe. Um, and, yeah, the, neither team, like, like the, especially the Leafs, you know, like, it felt like they were, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't really, frankly, followed the Leafs that closely over the course of the season. Um so I don't know what the whole deal is but like uh in terms of their consistency, but I mean they won the division so they couldn't have been that inconsistent. Um but you know they they didn't look completely engaged for like first of all the third period. Um like I thought the second period they came out, they played a good period. I think thought they dominated like you know for long stretches. It was like the halves are in their zone, they can't really get many offensive chances going. But I felt like you know once the third period hit, it was like uh they, they had that a bit of an adrenaline rush, the Leafs did, in the second period, uh, you know, when they had the intermission to think about it. And then it kind of felt like they ran out of gas. And uh, I don't know what to attribute that to, but it sure felt like the Habs were, you know, it, it did feel like they were the better team. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of unexpected because frankly, the way I come into the series is I think the Leafs are going to dominate minute, like, you know, at least like most of the game. Because, uh, frankly, they're better than the Habs roster construction-wise. So, yeah, it was pretty surprising. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, like, going into the series. Like, um, you know, can the Leafs bounce back from this, really? Like, Or will they just kind of look like ho-hum and somewhat deflated? That was, like, the energy I got from them watching. Um, it just looked like a deflated bunch. And, you know, their power play really wasn't working at all. The Habs managed to shut that down. Um, to to you know, they didn't score any goals off of it, and you know that's some nice looks, but it wasn't as lethal as as I anticipated heading into the series. Um, and so yeah, it, it kind of felt like an off night, but it feels like the kind of thing where the Leafs kind of have like three off
0: nights in a row, and all of a sudden they're down like three nothing. You know. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that is potentially an ideal scenario for Montreal. Um, and as you say, of uh, my expectations, as I believe yours were as well, for Montreal very, very low, heading into this game and this series. And I attribute that at least partly to some of the absolutely stupid lineup decisions made by Dominic Ducharme heading into this game. And I got to admit, there's a a very, very small part of me that's a little bit upset that he got rewarded for some of the idiocies he's done. Of course, though, uh, the happiness with the victory far, far outweighs that part of me. And I imagine that you do this as well i started you know gathering my thoughts before the game because i knew we were going to be recording after this all right what may i say uh about this series about this team about these decisions and i had a lot of thoughts in mind of what i would say if they lost not as many for if they won (laughs) um (laughs) and i do i do still think it's it's very fair to criticize these lineup decisions even though eric stahl was pretty good it seems like he did maybe you know save save up some stuff uh some juice in the tank uh, down the stretch this year for for playoff time he wasn't blowing anyone away he got like a the, the primary assist on the first Josh Anderson goal that's nice to see uh I still think Kaka would have been the better choice but I think I'm not sure which one really frustrates me more either well first of all Romanov that one um, I, I definitely don't agree with because I just think, you know, John Merrill has been pretty underwhelming in his time here. And I would prefer Romanov to, hmm, would I prefer him to Kulak? I don't know. Edmondson, I'm not even thinking about him as a potential for coming out of the lineup. Uh, But anyway, the cock and Yummy one, that one bugged me because I was like, okay, he's clearly better than Eric Stahl. But on the other hand, he really has struggled down the stretch, maybe given him like a game off. Wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world. And now Jake Evans actually left the game early. I think he blocked his shot. It looked like he might have hit him in the in the knee. We don't know if Jake Evans is going to miss any time. If so, Kokkinen would definitely be coming back into the lineup. The Caulfield one, though, that's frustrating in a little bit of a, a, a different way. Because you look at the other wingers he was competing with uh, for you know lineup spots. None of them really deserve to come out of the lineup. Byron obviously doesn't. Arttu Lekanen probably would have been the odd one out. Yoel Armia, I don't think so. I don't know if he's like ever been a healthy scratch since he's been with Montreal. But on the other hand, Caulfield, I would say, is definitively better than those three players. And he proved in a short time here scoring at a a, a very impressive goal pace. And not only that, but actually contributing offensively, not just, you know, uh, scoring goals, but contributing, getting chances as well. And he's been pretty impressive defensively, too, that he 100% belongs in the lineup, and that's one of the reasons that I was so I was so mind-boggled by those decisions because it was just so clear the only reason that Cole Caulfield wasn't playing was experience. And I hate using that word, but that's the word that Ducharme used, so I'm going to have to use it as well. Yeah. So, like, let's... I don't know how much to let this win
1: cloud my view on uh, how to... How to view these stupid ass lineup decisions? But you know what? I'm gonna let's let's try to take these goggles off, these post win goggles off as much as possible, because uh, yeah, it sure feels like, especially with the Caulfield and Romanov ones. Like I'm just like scratching my head, like what the hell are you doing? Um, like you talk about. Okay, so let's talk about the Caulfield one. I mean, like the three fours that you could take off. Um, sure. Are they NHL defense, uh, NHL forwards? Absolutely. Um, and so you know, the Habs are built like that. They have like almost too many. Uh, you know, legitimate NHL wingers. And that's a good thing. You know, we're supposed we talk about all about that depth and here it is right here. But when it comes to actually making the decision, I don't know how you possibly botch it this far, this, this hard. Um, I mean, you could possibly tell me that Yoel Armia has more of an impact on the game than Cole Caulfield. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. And then, you know, Armia comes in and takes his, uh, takes his take Caulfield's spot next to Zuki when those two were absolutely clicking. I mean, I personally feel much more confident in a line of like Foley Suzuki, and Caulfield, that gets me a lot more excited than T- Foley Suzuki, and you know, frankly, mediocre Armea. top nine forward, Yoel Armia. Um, and so, you know, in terms of like, okay, yeah, uh, on any given team, would I object to seeing Yo- Yoel Armia on an NHL lineup in a playoff game? No, absolutely not. Sure, he belongs there. He's an NHL forward. But then you compare that to what you're leaving on the bench, and it makes absolutely no sense. It's not that, like, it's just that he, he's got the, oh, he's a blue chip prospect, but it's the fact that he's been producing at a great clip at the NHL level, Cole Caulfield has been. Uh, and so, you know, you're just, you're just, you're scratching your head. It's like, and it's like the, the Habs, you know, they're kind of flat offensively today. Um, And I guess that was part of their, you know, the design of the game. You know, they want to kind of slow things down and, you know, kind of trap things in the neutral zone. And sure, but it sure feels like this is a team that offensively could use a spark on any given game um, because that's a problem that they always have, it seems. And so I don't know how you could possibly take Caulfield out. I mean, you can't, you can't convince me that Yoara or Mia contributes that much defensively better in the neutral zone than Cole Caulfield. It's preposterous. Uh, and yeah, it's just, especially considering the, the chemistry that Suzuki and Caulfield found at the end of the season, I don't know how you could take him off the line, let alone the whole entire lineup. It makes... No sense whatsoever. And yeah, the Romano thing, like, what the hell are you? Like, what? 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 I don't freaking understand. John freaking Merrill, uh, you know, seventh defenseman. Get the hell, get him off the ice. Um, Is he serviceable? Sure. But I feel like, you know, like, putting those two together, it's like the slow, slow combo again that I keep talking, but I've talked about in the past. <laughs> um, it's like, no, it doesn't work. You know, you have two fucking co- like, you know, like pylons there, standing on the ice. Uh, not doing anything good for you. Uh, and, you know, so just, like, it's put the match, the if you're going to have a slow guy out there, which they do in Shea Weber, um, you might as well put him with a guy who can actually skate. And that's Romano. That is not John Merrill. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, Dominic Ducharme. Uh, but anyways, I just eh, completely baffling. And yet they won the game somehow. You know, hockey's dumb some yeah. in some ways. Um, but, you know, I'm talking about these things. But yeah, this roster freaking won the game uh, tonight. But still, it just feels like going forward, you know, benching your, your rookies isn't such a good thing in the long term either. You know, like, you know, playoff experience, you know, knock all the experience talking up. But I think it's valuable to some extent. You know, maybe it's, it is overhyped in hockey circles. But to some extent, you know, fucking put Cole Caulfield in the playoffs. Why the hell not? Um, especially if he's deserving of the spot, which he very much is, considering his recent play. And so, uh, yeah, that's it's all a bit stupid. If they if if they had lost tonight, we would have had so many more. Like you know, we would have been even more outraged about it. Um, but here we are; they won mm-hmm. the game. But still, it's still like you know, it still itches the back of my mind. I'm still freaking bothered by it.
0: Yeah, you know what? Um, those lineup decisions kind of reminded me of was the 2016 World Cup of Hockey. Uh, where Team USA made some really strange uh, decisions, notably leaving Phil Kesselov, who had just like uh, been the Penguins' leading scorer en route to the Stanley Cup in in favor of guys like Ryan Callahan and Justin Abdelkader and Brandon Dubinsky. And they said basically, oh, we think this is the team that can beat Canada. And this kind of felt like the same type of thing. Like, oh, yeah, we know we can't uh We can't necessarily score the same clip, have the same offensive talent as Toronto. So we better try something totally different, which is to, I don't know, punch him with Eric Stahl. Uh, And to their credit, it somehow miraculously worked in game one. Obviously, luck was on their side in some ways. Uh, I do think, though, that game two is the time to put Kakanyemi and Caulfield in. Well, I thought Game 1 was the time. I don't know if I expect him to make any lineup changes for Game 2. I think that now uh, now's the time. And if Jake Evans is not at 100% anymore after that injury, I would take this chance to rest him. Uh, I know we've been very impressed with him lately, um, but he I don't think is quite at the level yet where if he's a little bit banged up, uh, you leave him in anyway. I think oh, if, if if you know he's close enough to the fringe of the lineup that it could make sense to rotate him out a bit if he's not at 100%. So if you wanted to put Kokkinami in his spot with Byron and Leckonen, I think you would also want to take out Leckonen, put Caulfield in there. Give me some some Byron Kokkinami Caulfield actions. Uh, swap out Evans and Leckonen for Kokkinami and Caulfield for game two. And even though they did one, and I know coaches don't usually like messing with a winning lineup, I think a spark will be needed for Montreal, Um, because, you know, understandably, after the Tavares injury, they weren't really at the the top of their game either, all right? Uh, They, this was not, like, their best game of the season by any stretch. They didn't, like, dominate for long periods of time, Uh, so I don't think either team was anywhere close to their highest potential, and if Toronto, you know, bounces back, firing on all cylinders, which is definitely very possible, I think Montreal needs an answer that they didn't have at their disposal in game one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Toronto really got their top game going, the Habs would have had absolutely no response. Uh, and no one really to, like, you know, act as a spark plug. Well, maybe not Maybe not nobody, but you're really, like, holding yourself back by, you know, keeping Cole Caulfield out of the lineup. And so, yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared for, uh, I'm scared of the Leafs moving forward. I think, you know, the, as I said, shell-shocked was the, was the look that they gave after this game, you know, weren't playing their best at all. But I think they'll come back with Avengers game, too. And... You know, if the Habs can find a way to win that game, now you're really like punching them in the mouth. You're going back to Montreal with a 2 0 lead. Uh and so, yeah, I would uh I would seriously consider like let's go load up on the like the the, the the spark. You know, the spark, and that's what coffee will bring. And he brings it more than, you know, Yoel Armia or Arturi Lekinen. Uh for crying out loud. And uh yeah, I just checked on Twitter. Looks like Jake Evans is uh he'll be back uh it won't be too long. That was the quote from Dominic Ducharme. Um, no no, uh, no word on uh, how long he'll be out, though, just that it's not too long. And so, uh, absolutely, I agree. I mean, uh, there, there's no sense uh, if he's banged up and he is able to play in game two to play this guy when you have a perfectly healthy, cocky who I presume will be uh, hungry to get back in the lineup for a playoff game. And so, uh, yeah, that makes no sense. I don't know why he played an injured guy, especially against the fucking Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that makes no sense at all. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see if this uh, lineup stupidity continues. Um, well, you know, stupidity in our point of view, apparently it worked for game one, but whatever. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I sure hope I see those three, all three of them in the game next time around, because, uh, yeah, from, from the word I I just read on uh, Jake Evans, I don't think he will be fully healthy next game. It makes no sense to put this guy, uh, back in the lineup when you have a healthy guy, a healthy NHL center, ready to go, uh, healthy top nine NHL center, ready to go. So, uh, yeah, Caulfield, Romero, Cockney, they better be all back in the lineup. And if they lose, Game two, I know exactly what I'm railing on uh, the next episode because I'm not letting this Hmm. go. If he keeps up this, this uh, you know this whole benching the youngster thing, frankly, it makes no sense whatsoever uh, from a talent perspective and also from a long term perspective. And uh, yeah, I'm worried. This was not the best. This was not the Leafs' best game. It wasn't the Habs' best game, but it certainly wasn't the Leafs' best game. Uh, And if they do manage to find that, uh, the Habs need to really optimize their lineup to uh, weather the storm.
0: Yeah. Won't be out too long. Sure sounds a lot like he'll be missing at least one game, if I had to guess. Uh, I saw a a fun stat heading into this game that since 2010, Jesperi Kakanyemi has four NHL playoff goals and Eric Stahl has two. So your little experience factor might not be as uh, as great as you think unless you're going back over 10 years for experience, Dominic, which I guess you are. I do want to give him credit for one thing, though. One thing that I was, I was very pleased to see, which is that Dominic Ducharme appears to have finally seen the light about Shea Weber and that Shea Weber is not the type of defenseman you can rely on anymore for heavy minutes. Uh, Heavy minutes, uh, not as in like actual time on ice, because I think he was second in Habs defenseman. A lot of that was you know, that... That they did have quite a few power plays, and he was on that second unit, which was a very strange mixture of players. But anyway, what I'm what I'm more talking about is they pointed out on the broadcast that almost all of Shea Weber's time was against the Leafs bottom two lines. Uh and he wasn't seeing he was seeing barely any time against, you know, the likes of Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, And that I believe it was mostly the Edmondson Petrie pairing, and even slightly the Kulak Sherat pairing. That we're seeing those matchups, and I trust all four of those defensemen to be honest against the Leafs' elite offensive players more than I trust Shea Weber.
1: Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine fucking John Merrill and Shea Weber against Austin Matthews? <laughs> we would be talking a much different tone. And so yes, we do have to compliment <laughs> him on his uh, occasional, occasional uh, correct decisions. There, he seems to so, yeah, as you said, seen the light. uh that Shea Weber is a uh, fucking toast. He's washed people, uh, and uh, he's not good anymore at all. Uh, so very much on the very much a third pairing defenseman. Uh, very and uh, yeah, good to see that he's you know demoted to the second power play unit. I was surprised. I was fully anticipating because we haven't seen Jay Weber in a while, right? I was fully anticipating. You know, okay, he's going to be back on the first power play unit, um, and that'll be that. Look, the power play didn't look too good tonight. I can't say it looked great, however. It was encouraging to see that we weren't just funneling, you know, shots at Shea Weber at the point for the first unit. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, they, when that's not the first plan of attack, at least it's some sort of, you know, character growth. And uh, yeah, so I guess shout out to character for that. Growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, but especially, uh, yeah, seeing him on that third pairing, seeing him playing those, you know, sheltered minutes. You need to shelter Shea Weber now. Uh, this guy's certified traffic cone. Um, he, he can't move. It. He's slow as hell. Uh, and so uh, he doesn't bring much to the game anymore. He's he's bad. I'm sorry. He's not very good anymore. Um, and so uh, yeah, he's a solid third pair defenseman, overpaid as hell. But sure, he works. Um, if you're playing, you know, bottom six, he's playing against the least bottom six. Uh, and uh, yeah, long overdue, freaking long overdue. Let me tell you that. But uh, it's good to see it's finally happening when it counts, which is the playoffs.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also of course got to shout out Carey Price. He was brilliant, as we all expected and knew would be the case. Uh, I think they were kept on talking about how great he's always been in the playoffs, you know, and that's absolutely true. And that is what I really do, you know, if it's just like one year or something, then I'd be like, oh, I don't know. But he has a very consistent track record of putting up not just uh, great numbers in the playoffs, but significantly better than the regular season numbers in the playoffs. Uh, so the fact that he was totally dialed in only gave up the the one goal uh was not such a surprise, and I expect his elite play is going to continue moving forward uh and you know oh uh we should probably also mention that he actually played a game for the Laval rocket this week that was uh kind oh, of yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. I saw the highlights from it him and Brennan Gallagher on their uh, their conditioning stint um I think price even said after the game today something funny like oh yeah, it was nice to diversify my hockey DB page or something like that. Um, He was a little shaky, I think. He had like two goals in the first four shots. Uh, But alas, there was nothing to worry about because that was an unimportant game. And he was clearly just playing mind games with the Leafs, trying to get them to think he wasn't at 100% so that he could totally shut the door on them in game one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the joke I saw circulating Twitter after the game was uh, the fucking Marley scored more goals against Carey Price than the Leafs did, which is true. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, he's making me eat crow, because I do believe that I was a big doubter of his abilities um, heading into the playoffs, and I was like, you know, he's the second best goalie on this team now, which I stand by for the regular season, but uh, apparently I I had completely forgotten about playoff Carey Price, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he fucking rocks. And so, you know, would I pay $10 million for, carry, for playoff carry price? No, absolutely not. But I might as well enjoy it while I'm here. Uh, and now that we are paying him 10 well, you know, Jeff Molson's paying him $10 million. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah. oh, you I'd better be
0: paying any part of that yeah. contract. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, and so, yeah, it was great. What more does to say? He had that fucking... What was that great save? I don't know, I remember. Was that Marner? It was that Marner, right? Uh, and he's sliding across. He gets his blocker yeah. on it. And, you know, it was a one-timer. and It was fantastic. And, yeah, he just looked sharp. He looked sharp, uh, which uh, I can't say about him during the regular season. But, uh, hey, if Jake Allen can bring us to the playoffs and then we switch to Carry Price uh, as the playoffs start and he turns into playoff Carry Price uh, and it works, I don't object to this recipe. Uh, and, yeah, hopefully that rest that we gave him with all those Jake Allen starts, He's off about now. I don't think he's uh, burnt <laughs> out by any means, Kerry Price, after this season. So, yeah, hopefully he keeps it up. Hopefully. You know, it is just one game. It is the ultimate small sample size. But uh, it certainly looked encouraging. He looked on top of the game tonight.
0: Yeah, I think there, there were valid worries to have about Price because of the injury that he was coming yeah. off of. Is he 100%? We don't really know. Uh, and that was one thing that people were like all concerned about. Not that he is just like sucks in the playoffs. So, but it is nice to see he appears to be fully a hundred percent before we move on from this series and talk about the other ones. Uh, most of which are significantly further along than this Habs leave series that just started tonight. Uh, I want to point out uh, something a little obscure. I don't know if you noticed uh, that Brendan Gallagher had like a, a, a splotch of blood on his cheek for the entire game. Did you pick up on that?
1: No, I did not.
0: All right. Uh, well, they showed it on camera a couple times. He has some blood on his cheek. I don't know how how it got there, where it came from. I, you know, sometimes players start bleeding, um, from you know things hitting them in the face or whatever. Every time, I, 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 I they panned over to him. I forgot that it was blood, and it looked like you know. Did you ever like go to like a face painter or something? They would, like paint something. It looked like someone had painted like a, like a red heart on His cheek every time I was like, Oh, he has a heart in his cheek. Oh, no, wait, he doesn't. It's blood. So, I guess the fact that you hadn't noticed this uh splotch of blood I don't know if splotch is even a word on Gallagher's face makes this bit a little bit less funny. But to the people who did notice it, I just wanted to point that out uh, because I kept thinking that Gallagher had face paint on.
1: There we go. All right. Um, oh, I wanted to shout out somebody else. I wanted to shout out a forward. I wanted to shout out Josh Anderson, uh, who freaking rocks and uh, you know. Making me a crow, uh, making us eat a crow on that whole, uh, on our takes on that Domi for Anderson trade. uh, Because uh, Domi freaking sucks, both as a person and uh, yeah, at hockey now too uh, with the Blue Jackets. And so, and uh, yeah, he was freaking great today. He scored the goal, but it just seems like he was all over the place. He had a really good chance in the first period. And, uh, you know, we're talking about spark plugs in the offense here. uh, Really isn't much, there wasn't much this game for the Habs. But I felt like whenever there was, you know... It was Josh Anderson. And it kinda of felt like he was the only forward buzzing in the offensive zone for the Habs. Uh and so yeah, I wanted to shout him out. And also, we didn't even mention the Paul we didn't oh, mention the goal. Yeah. The Paul Byron goal. I was just gonna um, say how
0: did we I was just gonna say this is why we we're amateurs, is we got like 35 minutes in before we even mentioned the craziest goal ever. Uh, <laughs> Paul Byron had that short-handed falling down breakaway goal from the knees. That's some you really, you see that in like PWA. Uh, it was it was crazy and it was super fun and it was one of the prettiest goals of the year and I've I I honestly rarely watch goals more than like a couple times I rewatched that Paul Byron goal uh like I don't know how many times eight times because it's beautiful to look at and I'm probably gonna watch it many more.
1: Ah, oh, it was just fantastic. I mean, shorthanded too. Just, just absolutely wonderful. Uh, and uh, yeah, like just a way. He completely, like, lapped. Was it Rasmus Sandin that he was uh, that the defenseman yeah. on the play? Um, like, he was, like, like a good, like, two, three paces behind him, behind Sandin as they were racing for the puck um, when it got flipped into the leaf zone. Uh, and he managed to completely fucking turnstile him. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Uh, and, uh, you know, it probably would have been a penalty shot had he not scored. Uh, but he managed to uh, find a way, get it both hands was thick, and then uh, flip it up over the shoulder of Jack Campbell. And, uh, yeah, just an absolute highlight reel goal. And the fact that it was a game winning goal in the third period just makes it that much better. And so, uh, yeah, Paul Byron, who has had his struggles, who was not as good as he was a few years ago, um, yeah, he brought it tonight. And he brought it on that goal. He brought a speed. That's what he's here for, right? Uh, Paul Byron, Mr. Speedy. Uh, and uh, yeah, completely fucking turnstile, Rasmus Sandin. And it was a beautiful sight to see. And the goal was wonderful as well.
0: Yeah, Sandine also, along with Zach Bogosian, they were both kind of blown by by Josh Anderson on the first goal. Uh, so Sandine kind of, you know, not having the the greatest night, being you know right in the thick of things on both halves goals. I wonder if uh, if Sheldon Keefe would consider swapping him out for Travis Dermott for game two. I would guess no. He doesn't seem like the kind of coach to just you know, oh, young player makes uh, you know so, some errors. We got we must scratch him indefinitely. Uh, but just a thought. Something we could say. I, I didn't realize Travis Thurman was like a healthy scratch now. Is he just that bad? No, I think kind of just uh, Sandine just passed him on the depth chart. Um, Travis Thurman's definitely uh, he's a, a great number seven. And I think on the Habs, he'd probably be like, I don't know if he would be in the top four considering Ducharme's patterns or if they'd wave him like they waved Victor Mate. But he definitely, uh, were he on the Habs, should be in their top four.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's all there is to say on this series. Uh game 2 is on Saturday. Uh very excited if the Habs can pull it out. Uh that will be fucking awesome. Um all right. Where to next? Any
0: uh any preferences? Uh let's stick in the north uh very briefly cuz there's only one other game to talk about so far in the north playoffs. Uh the Jets beat the Oilers 4 to 1 last night, uh which might be two nights ago by the time you we were listening to this. Uh and I think we mentioned on last week's episode, both of us are in a, an NHL bracket challenge pool with uh, nine other people, so there are 11 of us. And we were going through all the other brackets of all our, our competitors, and we noticed that all 11 of us had picked the Edmonton Oilers over the Jets in the series. And I know the Oilers have been the, uh, the popular pick, obviously. But just seeing that the fact that everyone else had done it, I know I picked the Oilers to go to round three. I was still kind of thinking, oh, maybe it would have been fun to to pick the Jets. And obviously the fact that they won game one, managed to neutralize Connor McDavid. And of course, you know, Uh, The Jets' high-end forwards, who are known, especially amongst the analytics community, for somehow always, every year, propping up their stats ridiculously (laughs) with empty net goals. Uh, I think it was was like Connor and Shifley scored the two empty net goals, and like Wheeler got two assists. Some combination of those players really managed to capitalize on those empty netters. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I have it here. Kyle Connor scored the first one, assisted by Shifley and Pyong. And Blake Wheeler scored the second one, assisted by Connor and Shifley. Uh, So yeah, stat padding to the extreme. I respect it. Uh, And (laughs) yeah, it just, it seems like uh, the Jets, you know, managed, the the top line managed to shut down uh, McDavid for a night. Uh, Race to to be seen if they can do that for uh, the entire series. I say no. Um, But then uh, it was just uh, the Oilers depth kind of bit them in the ass because the Oilers depth fucking sucks. So, uh, you know, dudes like, I don't know, this dude named Toninato I see scored um, the winning goal. Uh, Who is this guy? I have no idea. But uh, I'm sure he's better than whoever the Oilers have on depth uh, on the fourth line. And so uh, <laughs> there we go. I mean, that's what happens, right? Uh, and so, yeah, the Jets, that, that was their game plan, right? That's the game plan. You got to slow down Carter McDavid. Halibut has a nice game. Uh, and then uh, you have your depth guys kind of clean up against the Oilers scrubs. Uh, and that's what happens. And then to cap it off, you have your top line guys score some empty net goals. And so uh, this was uh, as good. Good as it was gonna get for the Jets, you know, like this is this follows exactly how they won over the course of the season. Now, uh, they didn't do much winning heading into the playoffs, which I think is the reason why nobody fucking picked them. I mean, uh, they were like what? Complete dog shit over the over down the stretch. Uh so you know, can't can fault us too much now, I don't think. Um, you know, I certainly don't regret the pick of picking the Oilers. Um and yeah. So but the Jets, you know, that's how they win, right? They lead on Hellebuck and against the Oilers, their depth is better, so That's about it. That's what happened. And uh, it was like, it was 2-1, right? It's basically a 2-1 game before the empty net goals. So low event hockey, shut down Connor. That's what they want.
0: Yeah, I still really do think the Oilers will win that one because just the the magnitude of the Jets slump, the several weeks heading into the playoffs was so great that I think this, this one win doesn't really convince me that they're out of it yet, even though it is playoffs and you turn the page on the regular season and whatever. Oh but speaking of that, I I just kind of this came back to my mind. Uh they were talking tonight's Leafs Habs game, heading out into the uh as all the players were getting onto the ice, they were talking like Anthony Stewart, Kevin BX, these former players, what's it like? What what does it feel like to head out for game one of the playoffs? And Kevin BX has said like first game of the playoffs, it's the best part of the regular season. And <laughs> my entire family we all just Wonderful. erupted in laughter. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, let's head over to the West Division because that's the game that's on right now that I'm watching. The Golden Knights are beating the Wild 3-2 to at the second intermission, and that series Ooh. at the moment is tied 1-1. And so far, it's pretty much been the goalie show. Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury have both been putting on clinics, especially Fleury. Uh, I f- I feel like we've seen so many highlight reel saves from him on the TL just from the first two games of these, of the series.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, you kind of forget because uh, he's old and also it seemed like he was on his way out, uh, like Lehner was going to take over the crease heading into the season that, uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is just uh, really fun to watch as he plays goalie. I mean, uh, he, like you see a lot of the goalies today, you know, it's the new age, right? It's just more efficient to kind of like be conservative, you know, be in the right spots at the right time and make yourself big. Terry Price. Well, uh... Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Fleury, uh, you know, being uh, old, um, it doesn't really adopt that style as much. And uh, that makes for some flashy glove saves, some, you know, behind-the-back shit. And he's just, like, throwing himself out there. But he's fucking good at throwing himself out there, especially this season. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, just that first game, was was uh, the one nothing, but he was absolutely spectacular all game. Uh, and, let's see, what was the second game? I forgot. Oh, yeah, it was 3-1. And, uh yeah he just three yeah, one wins he's clinic he's playing fantastic and uh, on the other hand cam Talbot uh he of uh my fantasy team Nordoriety, um also playing great um and he seems to have kind of regained his form a bit I don't know about these last two games though while like you know he's already given up three goals tonight um but you know he was spectacular in that first game and yeah goalie battle goalie battle but uh, this series is so entertaining to watch I mean these two teams are just going at it I fully anticipate it's going to seven I mean just in this game the wild were just up two nothing, right? Uh, and uh, Vegas is storming back to take the lead, and so it just feels like there's a lot of these series where uh, I'm just fucking hyped to watch them. They're just really exciting, going back and forth, and uh, you know, which is which kind of makes me sad about the Habs' leave. Just this first game, you know, it was kind of boring. It's kind of dull from a neutral perspective, you know, like low event hockey. I hope it really kind of picks up because uh, really, that's what playoff hockey is about. I think, you know, um, that's what makes it so fun. Uh, you know what I realized as I was watching with my sister who doesn't watch much hockey, you know? And she was, like, talking about how, like, you know, the middle of the game with the Habs-Leafs was kind of boring. And I told her about, like, the the Panthers uh, Panthers in Tampa uh, playing to, like, a 6-5 overtime game. And she's like, damn, we should have watched that game instead of the Habs game. It would have been so much <laughs> more entertaining, um, even though, you know, we're Habs fans in this house. And so, you know, it really just goes to show, like, even goals fucking rock. Uh, and, you know, the back and forth, uh just the it's just it's so much fun. And it's what I love about playoff hockey. There's so much on the line. Um, but especially when you're going back and forth, like even the Penz Oz game tonight, uh it's just it fucking rocks. It fucking rocks. And uh and just what we're seeing tonight with the wild and golden knights, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I've gotta say, kind of unrelated but I, as I said, I had the wild golden Knights game on and it's at intermission and it's the NBC feed and Mike Babcock, who I totally forgot is working on the panel. His face just showed up and I like, I jumped out of fear. I was fully not expecting it. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, back on Flurry for a second. I also want to mention he broke a record. Uh, I think a goalie record. He's now appeared in 15 straight playoffs, which is pretty remarkable for a number of reasons one of those reasons is that he spent a very large chunk of that time uh being known as being a bad in the playoffs especially like the 2011 to 2014 ish range of time especially that 2012 series against the flyers uh you really think of that there's like the he lost like 8-5 and i was there like a 10-3 game in there or something like that it was just total chaos and they lost in six games or something also uh, the fact that he's got like three Stanley Cups mixed in, but also that the two most recent Stanley Cups, he only played very briefly in each of them. Or I think, I think like 2017, he might have played like uh, the first two rounds. In 2016, he only played like two games or something like that. Uh, so a very strange career trajectory for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, and now at the age of how old is he, 36? He, he appears to be as good as he's ever been. Yeah,
1: just a, a weird career trajectory for a guy with a weird playing style. And, uh, yeah, it's entertaining. All right. Uh, unless you have anything else to add on Vegas, Minnesota, we nope. will move to the other series in the West. Uh, less tight. Not not as closely matched between the two teams uh, through two games here, Colorado and the St. Louis. Colorado's winning 2 nothing after uh, what I would call thorough domination of the Blues. Uh, and even though you know Bennington's been all right, uh, yeah, it just looks like the fucking Avalanche are steamrolling the Blues. They're just better all around. Uh, it's not particularly close. Even when Nazim Khadri goes out of his way to take a major penalty, gets suspended, uh, it just seems like they're no match. And the Avalanche are just flat out better. And the Blues suck compared to the Avalanche. And that seems to be the story here. And the score kind of tells the kind of tells the thing too.
0: Yep, I think both of us are feeling very good about our Stanley Cup picks at this point, considering how dominant Colorado has been. I think this is probably the most lopsided first-round series out of all of them. Uh, But as for that Cadre hit, oh man, that, that sucks, because it was a very dirty hit, a very gross hit, and I think all of us would have thought That after doing a similar type of thing two years in a row against the playoffs when he was in the Maple Leafs and getting traded pretty much solely because of it, because the team couldn't trust him not to, you know, lose his mind for a second in like game one or game two of the playoffs and get suspended for the rest of the series, they traded him. And you would have thought it would have kind of sunk in at that point uh, that he's really got to put in the extra effort to remain in check in the playoff games but it appears he uh he didn't either didn't learn his lesson or forgot it which i guess would imply if he forgot it that he didn't learn it and is likely going to get suspended again not sure how long wouldn't be surprised if it's for the remainder of the series or maybe if the nhl can if i guess department of player safety can tell that colorado is probably about to move on to round two and they might want to get a little bit into uh the next round if they do like a I don't know how many games we're expecting. Five, four, five, something like that. Uh, On the other hand, though, considering what the Department of Player Safety, how they handled the Tom Wilson situation a couple weeks ago, everything they do from this point forward, at least for the near future, will be clouded by that. If Kadri does get five games, we can say that's good. But when you compare it to Wilson, it's way too much. And if Kadri, you know, only gets a fine, which I don't think will be the case, I think he's going to miss at least a few games. Then we'll be, then we would be saying in that case, wow, I guess the Department of Player Safety really didn't get better. And they just don't care about uh, punishing these dangerous hits.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So first on the Kadri front. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's at this point, like, repeat offender. I don't know if he fits the term technically. Uh, no, he doesn't. But, uh, like, come on, that was, that's, like, we see it over, like, yeah, you expect that he freaking learns his lesson by now. For crying out loud, that was the reason he got traded from the team he was drafted from. And, uh, I mean, it's completely unforgivable. Uh, you know, not only is it a stupid move, it's dangerous in terms of player safety. I mean, who is it? Justin Falk? Um, I don't know how he's doing, but hopefully he's doing all right after a brutal hit to the head like that. Um, but, you know, in terms of, Like hurting the team. He's absolutely hurting the team. It makes no sense. Uh, It just, you're not benefiting your team in any way whatsoever. Uh, Not just in the short term, in terms of like, you know, taking a major penalty like that, but also, you know, um, he's going to get suspended. He's going to get suspended. I mean, what they already announced is that he is going to have an in person hearing. Well, like, you know, in person, in quotation. In person over Zoom. Zoom. Um, Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, you get the point that basically they can suspend him however long they want now, uh, which uh, doesn't bode well for him or the Avalanche. And so, yeah, if the, I I expect that he's gonna miss, uh, some part of the second round because uh, I mean, if they said just the, f- the rest of the first round, I mean, I expect that I mean that's probably just gonna be two games long, um, and that was not a two game suspension, that was not a two game worthy suspension of a hit, of a hit, uh, that was funkily worded, uh, but you get the gist, uh, and yeah, uh, can't believe it hasn't sunk in, and as for the player of uh, the DOPS, um. Yeah, they kind of put themselves in a bind. Like no matter uh how they do it, they look dumb as hell. Uh especially especially when you compare it with that Tom Wilson thing. But the definitively the, the right thing to do is to uh suspend him big. Throw the book at him. Uh it's never, you know, better late than never, right? Um it's not too late to reform. Uh and uh if they do throw the book at him, hopefully they keep it keep it going moving forward. Um I don't expect that. But yeah, uh what what I hope for here is uh yeah throw the book at Kadri why the hell not make an example out of him um you know the playoffs aren't aren't officiated enough anyways and so uh yeah that was an absolutely disgusting hit i mean there's no excusing it whatsoever and yeah this guy needs to be suspended a significant amount i would say uh 5 games i think 5 games is appropriate especially considering his history uh you need to really drill it in there and make him and his team pay uh because uh yeah get that shit out of the game that was gross
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm Yeah, well, I mean, I think most people would still agree that that catchy trade that sent him to Colorado is looking pretty lopsided in Colorado's favor, especially because the main piece going back to Toronto, Tyson Berry, was a terrible fit with that team and then walked in free agency. But at the very least, Toronto can be... Uh, relatively confident that Alexander Kerfoot will be there playing for the team in these important playoff games. Whereas now Kadri has proven yet again that Serrano was right uh to to not have faith that Kadri would be there for them uh in these important uh, round one playoff games. Um, let's head over to the East Division now because I want to save that super fun Central series for the end, uh, which is definitely after the Montreal series, which has the number one spot by default, my favorite. So let's talk about the East for now. Uh, Penguins Islanders. This one has, I, I think it was kind of the 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 token boring series, pretty much only because the Islanders are in it. They always seem to be in the token boring series. I wonder why that is. Until tonight. Uh, admittedly, I didn't watch much of the game. I had another game on that I was watching, uh, but from the highlights and, you know, there was, uh, you know, some, some scrum stuff that got pretty intense. And of course, more importantly than that, a lot of goals. And when the Islanders are playing in a game with a lot of goals, that tends to be a bad recipe for them for the most part. Uh, the Penguins won five, four. Jeff Carter continues to look amazing. Evgeny Malkin was back. Uh, Tristan Jari was, uh, I mean, he was great in Game 2. He was okay in uh, Game 3. Everyone was talking about how he, how terrible he is on the glove side. However, Eagle the Islanders have scored has been on the glove side, which I think that's most of weak spot. Uh, but anyway, I am feeling very confident, still in my pick, that the Penguins will make the Stanley Cup Final, which you had just been ridiculing me for not long ago.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, this... Yeah, so basically up until now it had gone, it was a pretty fucking boring series. I mean, what was it? They traded games where uh what was the score? Let me see. It was like, yeah, it was a freaking. I think it was four what, three overtime and then two yeah. one or something. Yeah, the two one game was fucking brutal. Um uh and uh but yeah, we had some excitement here. Finally, the Islanders. And uh yeah, what was it? How many times did the lead change? Like uh like three times? Yeah. How often do you see that in an islanders wow. game? That's pretty exciting. Uh and so <laughs> You know, that's cool. And uh, hopefully they can continue that scoring touch. I am now a fervent uh, Islanders fan um, because I need them to win. For How can bracket. you say that? So uh, here's to, here's two. here's the boring hockey. Here's to Trotz's defensive system. And 2-1 uh, wins. Let's go. Islanders.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the other series going on there, Washington, Boston, uh, has followed a very similar trajectory so far where not the lower seed but the um the underdog the, the picking underdog at least won game one and then lost the next two games. Washington won the first game uh in overtime. All three games have gone to overtime actually and Boston now is the two one series lead thanks to last night's little gaff on Ilya Samsonov's part in double overtime and that first overtime was so low event, so boring I had it on, I was like, wow, I, is this going to go like four overtimes or something crazy like that? Luckily, no, because Ilya Samsonov and the defenseman who was it, Orlov, I don't remember who it was, a little miscommunication behind the Capitals net on the Bruins dump-in, they both thought the other would play, and Craig Smith swooped in, wrap around. Uh, it was a, a pretty embarrassing way for the Capitals to end a game that, uh, of course, clearly they had a chance of winning, and they, they really blew it, and already kind of, you know, they were on a bit of a slump. They've had injury troubles heading into the playoffs. They've really they have to win those close games, and they won the first one. Uh, but it really feels like with that goal, I know they're only down by one game, but it feels kind of like uh, it may end up being the defining moment of the series. Yeah, I mean the last, these first three games, I feel like they've been more closely matched than I anticipated. Like I
1: I came into the series fully expecting you know the Bruins to knock the doors off the Caps the way that both of these teams were playing before, um, but I don't know, the caps kind of came to play. And you know, kind of shows with these three overtimes, you know, they've managed to find some goals. Uh kind of tip it past rask a few times. Um, you know, cue the rask the rask noise in Boston. Uh but uh yeah, I thought that was interesting. Just like I didn't expect it to be this close. But here we are, and I mean these last two games, absolutely fucking brutal for the caps, I think. I mean, realistically, they could have been up three nothing. I mean, I thought they were the better team in the second game, um, and the Bruins kinda stole that one in overtime and I mean, yeah, they could have, I mean, that was just a completely brutal mistake to losing an overtime like that. I mean, shout out to first of all, shout out to all three people involved for putting me out of my misery out in that fucking overtime. I was terrible. I was atrocious. I mean, like, overtime is fun and all, but like, for the love of God, end it in the first 10 minutes, please. Um, <laughs> and if you're not going to, at least make it exciting for me. Don't like slow it down. Oh my God, that first overtime stuck. It was a waste of an hour of my life. I'll never get back. Um, and absolutely nothing happened. I will remember nothing of it in four days. Um, but uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, so yeah, shout out to those three for saving some time on my end. Um, but also, like, the Caps completely fucked themselves. I mean, like, uh, I fully expect with this whole, like, swing of moment, like, this was it. You had to have won those games. You had to have, like, at least gone into game four with a lead. Um, I, at least I feel like, uh, just because it just feels like the Bruins are a better team. Uh, so, like, I think eventually the, the scale will tip. The Bruins will kind of pull ahead and then that'll be the series. And you'll look back and be like, you know, it's those two defining moments as the end of game two and uh, just game three like that, that Samsona mistake. Um, and so, yeah, now I fully anticipate the Bruins to kind of take off, wrap this up neatly in six games. Uh, and yeah, we'll be looking at that Samsona mistake like, ah, uh, oh, damn, they could have been up to one, but instead they were down and they kind of fell apart from there. Of yep. course now the Caps um, are gonna win the next three games, but
0: whatever. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't I don't think the I don't think we're powerful enough to jinx anything or have anything we say matter. But anyway, let's move on to the central division, where we have another very lopsided one four matchup. Carolina Nashville. Hurricanes are up 2-0 to nobody's surprise. Uh and I've gotta say, I think John Hines maybe giving Dominic Ducharme a run for his money with questionable line of decisions. Dante Fabro is one of them. It looked like he had established himself as uh, the second pair right defenseman playing with Matias Ekholm. I think he was injured a little bit, then he came back, and he wasn't very good. But man, I don't think he was bad enough to have Alexander Carrier, Ben Harper, and Eric Goodbranson all be playing ahead of him, and then Matthew Benning come in for the next game. I really have a hard time believing that Dante Faber was that bad, that Ben Harper is in the lineup ahead of him. Are you kidding me? Uh, and then the one that Preds fans appear to be even more frustrated, frustrated with from the little I saw uh, was Ellie Tolvanen, who appeared to finally find his groove this season and one a few predators players to that you could even feasibly describe as having any sort of groove this season uh it appears he started he started clicking offensively he started scoring at a pretty decent clip I think he even even played on like the, the a line with forsberg at certain points this season and healthy scratch healthy scratch are the first uh first game at least I think the first two uh in favor of guys that I had never really heard of uh that apparently I mean I've, I've seen their names a bit but I know nothing about guys like Tanner janot who apparently has who? been like, I don't know, a, a little bit of a, a revelation this year. He like rose up the ranks and he's like a decent player. And Mathieu Olivier is now like the great fourth liner, I guess, for the Predators. <laughs> um, and it, it was just very strange that Tolvenin, one of the only players on the Predators who appeared to be outdoing expectations, at least offensively in a meaningful way. Uh, they couldn't find any room for him in the lineup. And uh, now they're down 2-0. I don't think it would have been any better if Tolton and Fabro were there. But, you know, it, w- it wouldn't have been any worse. Yeah. John Hines sucks as a coach, doesn't he? Like,
1: he's just his, his team. They're so boring, and they're all good, and he makes these dumb roster decisions, but just the system in general. His teams suck. Um, the only reason his team's in the playoffs now is because uh, UC Saros got on a hot streak. And they were in a team where uh, nobody else wanted that fourth spot, apparently. And so they're like, yeah, might as well, uh, you know, after they got a, they got some good goaltending. Uh, but, yeah, he's not very good at coaching hockey. And uh, we talked about it when they hired him. Uh, it was a bit of a head-scratcher, like, uh, hello, did you look at anybody else? Did you look at anybody else? Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, kinda, he's not a very good coach. And he's just, he just goes to show, like, uh, maybe they should have done a better search on the, the coaching front there. Because, uh, yeah, there's really no track record of John Hines being a good coach. And he, can st- he continues to show it. He just kind of lucked into a playoff spot this year because his goalie was good and the division sucked. Um, So, you know, that's John Hines. But aside from that, yeah, just like, they're outmatched. Carolina's a better team. Uh, you know, head to toe. Head to toe. I mean, Alex Adelkovich has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, he got the shutout yesterday. I mean, look, it's not like he's being tested extreme amounts here against the fucking Predators. But... Uh, whatever he's been faced with, uh, shots, he's saved them and that's his freaking job. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I completely stand by. I think I put him second on the Calder ballot, uh, making me look better with every passing game. And, uh, yeah, like that's, they've really got their gold sit, goaltending situation down pat there in Carolina. I mean, even if you falters, they've got Murazic back there. I mean, yeah. Tandem city over there if you need it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, Carolina's a better team, and it's not close. So, uh, you know, call it a sweep. Why not? But uh, just look at the games. I mean, look, uh, Nashville's not very good. Their roster's not talented enough. And you add the coaching, and uh, you have yourself a uh, lopsided series.
0: Yeah, I noticed actually last week when we did our uh, awards ballots, we forgot to do the – or we didn't forget. We just didn't think to do the Jack Adams. Yeah. Uh, Every I I'll, sure, I'll I'll do a, a top top five off the top of my head. You can join if you if you want. Just because I was just as you mentioned the coaching and also Rod Brindamore is of course the Hurricanes coach in that series and he appears to be the uh, the favorite for the Jack Adams. He'd probably be my number one as well. Uh, I might have like Quenville number two helped you know with that Florida Panthers resurgence which we will get to in a minute. Uh, who else would I have? Trying to think of the top teams. I guess uh maybe Dean Everson with the Wild deserves some love. Uh, Jared Bednar, Presidents Trophy winners, you should get some votes. And uh, I'll give Barry Trotz my number five just go. because that Islanders team still sucks on paper, and he still managed to get them into the playoffs. Yeah, you know what, Barry
1: Trotz, every year, every year he has to deal with his goddamn Lou Lamarello lineup that that he Terrible team. Terrible team. Um, yeah. And still so manages to like fucking I can't believe it. Every single time I see Leo Cabro's fucking face on the uh on the broadcast it's like Jesus Christ. This guy still plays in the NHL? It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and this team's a playoff team? What the fuck? Not um until 2024. <laughs> it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. I mean, these guys suck so hard and I like
0: what? what how is this a playoff team <laughs> you picked them to be the pittsburgh penguins <laughs> i know but that's how good barry trots is
1: so frankly you know he should be like top three at the very least uh every season so you know my ballot goes you know brynn number one uh and then i put ah uh, do i put trots here yeah what the fuck i'll put trots here Ah, uh, you know what? No, 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 no. You got, you have to put Quenville. You have to put Quenville because this, after all, it is the uh, oh shit, you're good award. Um, so uh, yeah, you know,
0: exactly.
1: uh, yeah. So we have to, we have to put him in there. You know, maybe you know what? I'll put Quenville number one because Florida this year was the ultimate. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? They're this good. The uh, and so he's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's number one. So I'll put Quenville number one. I'll put Brembo number two. Uh, I put Trotz number three, just because uh, you know why the hell not? Uh, and uh. Yeah, you know, I think you you nailed it there with the last two dudes, uh, Bednar and Everson, and uh, and I'll put them in that order because the Avalanche are better. Uh, you know, no, nah, no, fuck it up. I'm putting, I'm putting Everson fourth. I'm putting Everson fourth because the Wild are another one of those like what? What? They're competing with the oh, Golden yeah. Knights. What the hell is this coming from? Um. So yeah, Everson fourth, and then Bednar, Just that team rocks.
0: So uh, I'll put them fifth. All right. Allow this Joel Quenville discussion to transition us over. To the greatest Perfect. series of all time Perfect. that everyone loves so much, Florida Panthers Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's start with that amazing Game One that everyone was lauding as like one of the best games of the last five years. Everyone was quoting Down Goes Brown saying it's the type of game that makes new hockey fans. Then I think, um, I think it was it Steve Dangle who brought up like uh Tony X whose first ever hockey game that he saw was the Blues Blackhawks Game Seven from 2016. That was an amazing game. The Blues won three to two. And then he was like, wasn't Tony just like some random guy who was like, oh, this hockey stuff is pretty interesting. And the NHL was like, amazing, amazing. A new fan. Do you want to come like to the NHL awards and like do a sketch with us? And then he like fell asleep and missed his flight or something crazy like that. But anyway, (laughs) that's a bit of a sidetrack. We were talking about lead changes. while you were in the Penguins Islanders game tonight. That game won. That ended 5-4 Tampa Bay. There were four lead changes, which is literally as many lead changes as possible in a 5-4 game. Um Tampa scored first, two goals for Florida, two goals for Tampa, two goals for Florida, two goals for Tampa in that order, and it was a 5-3 win for them. Um of course, I would also have to say that I think besides the Montreal-Toronto series, my rooting interest is the strongest in this one. I feel a very strong attachment to my bracket selection of the Panthers over the Lightning and I've been rooting for them very much. So tonight when I, I wasn't watching the Panthers light in the game, of course, as it was in overtime, but when I saw that they had come back from around 5-3 the third period, Gustav Forsling with the tying goal, top pair defenseman, and that is true, and then Ryan Lomberg with that amazing overtime breakaway goal for the victory. All these guys no one's ever heard of really stepping up for Florida just as I predicted. Ryan Lomberg and Gustav Forsling and Mason Marchment all making names for themselves in these playoffs. I know they're down 2-1, but I still have faith.
1: Those might've been the only forwards we didn't mention on the Florida Panthers when we were doing their breakdown. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, like yeah. defensemen, So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, Damn, I'm, I'm sad about that one because uh, 3-0 would have really put my mind at ease over that Tampa Bay pick. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, yeah. Uh, so first of all, let's address like, uh, this whole making new hockey fans things. In the end, you know what makes new hockey fans? Freaking goals. That's what I've come to realize, you know? Just like put a whole bunch yep. of damn goals and the game becomes so much more exciting. Um, especially if they're like the two teams are trading goals. But even a 10-0 game, I'm fucking down to watch that shit any day. Um, <laughs> no, so, like, so like, yeah, give me the freaking goals. Um, and that's what you get. You got it in game one, you get it in game three, and it just it's so much fun. It's so much fun to watch. And you know, I I I, I deeply resent more and more uh, the strategy of like, uh, okay, let's uh, let's slow the game down. Let's make it a one nothing, a two one game. I mean, that fucking sucks. That sucks to watch. It sucks for the game. I mean, like, ah, oh, playoff hockey when it's five four and you have four freaking lead changes. That shit rocks. Uh, not to mention, like the hilarious narrative with like the, the whole Nikita Kucherov thing. I mean, this guy's this guy's out for the entire season. Gives him a whole bunch of fucking cap space. I think their cap roll is like almost a hundred million dollars at this point. Um, and uh, well, how many points did he score yesterday or, or in game one? Like four points. Or, uh, with two he goals? scored two
0: goals. Uh, okay. I don't know if he got any assists, but he's been great. Right. Who well, could have seen that coming?
1: Okay, okay. So I just checked. He had three. He had a uh, three points total. And. uh yeah, I think that's just that's just really funny, and but yeah, all this kind of stuff, all this funny stuff, all this is uh, Battle Florida and all that. It's uh, it's just so entertaining. It's so entertaining, and you know what? A part of me, despite the bracket, is glad that Florida, you know, at least made it tighter. Uh, two one, you know, this this was not a sweep worthy series. Get that, you know, like as not much as I would have enjoyed it. Um, as much I want as but I going to milk as many games <laughs> as as we can out of this series because uh, yeah.
0: It rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- you were talking about like how sick you are, and as I think many people are, of these coaches who are like, I oh, want to play trap defensive chess style or whatever, and it, it made me think about really a lot of the problems we talk about with hockey and how you know. We were, things even with like the Department of Player Safety and how they're not cracking down on dangerous hits, and how that's very connected to, you know, not calling the rule book uh, as tightly as we would like, especially during the playoffs, where players can get away with more hooking and cross checking and grabbing and whatnot, and how that does not allow star players to realize their full offensive potential and therefore the product becomes less exciting. So I think it really does start with the NHL realizing that what they need to do to make the product more entertaining and therefore attract more fans is to call the rules more tightly. Uh, because then all of a sudden, if you have scrubs like Ben Harper, who can't s- stick around and survive by, you know, uh, shoving players around and grabbing their jerseys and stuff, then all of a sudden, not only do those bad players uh, get out of the league pretty quick uh, and make way for, you know, more exciting, more skilled players to take their places. But then these, you know, trap defensive styles, the coach's dream, whatever you want to call them, doesn't become an effective way of coaching anymore. Uh, or of constructing rosters so you need to have managers acquire more skilled players and you need to have coaches realize how to maximize their talents and all of a sudden these high scoring entertaining back and forth games will become much more commonplace and we'll hopefully we'll see things like panthers lightning game one and also game three these very exciting games much much more often throughout the regular season and the playoffs and guess what people are going to like it more um i feel like i was going to say something else about this oh yeah uh, one other thought on this thing, on this Kucherov stuff, all right? Because everyone saw this coming. Everyone could tell exactly what the Lightning were doing all year, keeping Kucherov on LTIR for the entire regular season. For some reason, people are only upset about it now. Uh, I, for one, am not upset that the Lightning did it for sure, and I don't think most people are, because there's uh, something you, that the rules allow you to do. You might as well do it to try and have the best roster possible. Uh, and But some people are trying to argue the NHL should try and close this loophole, change the rules... You know, maybe I can, uh, I can understand that. I don't think it's an urgent problem because I've got to say, if your team is good enough that you can bench, not not bench, that you can rest. Your best player, arguably, I would say probably your best player, Kucherov, who also won the Hart Trophy two years ago and not worry that it's going to, you know, jeopardize your chances of making the playoffs, if you've constructed a team good enough that you can say, yeah, whatever, Nikita Kucherov, you don't have to play for the entire regular season, then I say, wow, amazing, good for you. I will allow you to go right on ahead with that plan. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think there's merit in, uh, you know, kind of like what the LTIR does, right, And creating this ability to like make more cap space is that, you know, you're not, you're not like double penalizing the team, right? Um Like the first penalty is like actually losing the player. And then, you know, you are hamstrung in your ability with the, the whole hard cap to kind of maneuver and replace the guy. Right. Uh And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's absolutely merit to that idea. And if you are able like Tampa to uh, stay afloat without Nikita Kucherov for an entire season. um Yeah. Why the hell not? I mean uh should the playoffs be this uh this this whole like capless void I don't know I think that's that's I think that's that can be up for debate but uh I think this uh, whole LTR create this whole you know I don't see the beef in it um you know I don't see the problem with it is what I should say and I mean yeah if you're gonna like it was a legitimate injury that's the thing right everything seemed to be above board um did they maybe milk it more than they could have I don't know. Yes. From from all indications, it seems like Kucherov was uh seriously injured and uh what the agent's saying like, oh I was, I was surprised he even made it back for game one. I thought he was gonna come back for round two. Uh how much stock do I put into that? I'm not sure. None. Um but uh yeah. Uh I've heard
0: look, Yeah, go ahead. I I just say, I've heard that he could have been back like three weeks ago from a couple nope. other places. So okay. I so, wouldn't trust the, the agent report. at all on that. Fair
1: enough. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, they managed to stay afloat. He had a legitimate injury, I mean, you know, yes. to start off. So uh, that took him out for a significant part of the season. So, uh, you know, good for Tampa. I don't resent them at all. I wouldn't even close the loophole. I don't I don't think it's that big of a problem. Um, yeah, if you have a big injury to a big player, to a big-name player, big cap player, I mean, sure. Um, you should be kind of not compensated, but I guess compensated is the word. Uh, for that loss
0: mm-hmm. all right uh so i think a playoff talk mostly done for the episode but i think there are like two more things we want to mention one of them will be pretty quick i just want to laugh at pierre Maguire for a second <laughs> all right because he's he's made the rounds a bit all right because okay he he we know that he's against analytics but what we didn't know is that he has no idea what analytics means and he just you know apparently just doesn't like to do math I don't even know what's it, what analytics means to him but anyway one interesting thing it was pointed out because Pierre Maguire has become slightly known uh as of recently for praising players that he imagines the analytics don't like but they actually do and some have said oh this is actually i think this was Jay Fresh. who was like hot take um pierre maguire is saying players like blake coleman and zach ass and reese are really good and that that disproves analytics while yes shows pierre maguire has no understanding of analytics also shows he actually has a very good eye test because he can pick <laughs> up that these players are good uh without you know having to crunch numbers to do so which is very of course you know could potentially be true However." If he could just shut up every once in a while about (laughs) analytics, if he's just going to say things like, oh, look at the penguins. Putting out Zach Gass and Reese, Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev to defend their fourth, putting out the fourth line to defend this lead late in the game. And it works. There's no analytics for that. When in fact, every analytics you could possibly look at would imply those four players are excellent defensive forwards and that that's an excellent elite shutdown line. And apparently he it it took it to a whole new level today in the Penguins Islanders game again when someone literally scored a goal. And Pierre Maguire said there's no analytic for that. I'm sorry, Pierre. The analytic of goal was literally invented in like 1893. So you're a little bit behind there. And there's no analytics for that.
1: Uh, yeah, it's absolute buffoon. Like I uh it's like I've I've railed about these stupid broadcasters. Like, how do they keep the job? But you know what? I guess you know, it's like it's kind of the whole like you know, cat look away from a train wreck thing. Like, look at us! Are we talking about Pierre Maguire right now? Uh that's more than you can say for like fucking Gary Galley um uh so you know well, yeah we have talkgui a fair amount that is true that is true so you know maybe maybe the trick to being a good broadcaster is being a notoriously bad one um and uh yeah pierre seems to have uh, completely <laughs> mastered that because uh yeah just wow these sound bites are incredible Fucking insane and speaking of pierre Maguire sound bites um you know there was and i and i am unashamed to say I completely fell for this hoax um, but but who is it? What's his yes. name, Mr. Booth? Mr. Booth, yeah, yes, noted a Canucks fan and the Twitter personality, Mr. Booth, um, who I think has a history of impersonating Twitter accounts, like hockey Twitter accounts. Anyways, all he all put the out time, a tweet. Aquilini. Okay, all right, all right. So yeah, he basically he changed his uh, Twitter name, um, to uh, you know, Francesco Aquilini. Is that his name, Francesco? I don't remember his first name. Um, but uh, name is Aquilini. Francesco. Francesco Aquilini, owner of the Canucks. And he put out a long-winded statement where uh, basically he was announcing the firing. He was announcing that Jim Benning would not be returning next season. Um, And uh, a lot of people, myself included, uh felt hook line and sinker for this tweet i mean i even idiot. Fucking, i said i sent a text to alex i was like oh my god jim benning's fired and then 30 seconds later i'm like i'm back on twitter i'm like oh fuck you complete idiot i went back to <laughs> leave the text and i was like fuck never stupid. mind i'm just a fucking i'm a clown i'm an absolute idiot what am i an absolute twitter noob um but yeah not only did he fool me though Mr. Booth managed a fucking fool, uh, well, okay, so I guess he didn't fool Pierre Maguire directly, but he fooled, uh, well, so Pierre Maguire was doing a segment with uh, TSN radio, I think with the Montreal station, and, he had, and Mr. Booth had fooled the, the Montreal station, or whoever was checking the Twitter feed there, um, into uh, basically, so they had Pierre Maguire as the news broke, news in uh, quotation marks, and uh, they, they asked Pierre Maguire about it. They told him about it. He's like, yeah, Joe, it looks like Jim Benning's not coming back. And uh, he spends a whole minute talking about, yeah, how Jim Benning was on his way out. Uh, when, in effect, he was not fired. And I think they announced that he's actually coming back next season.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. He. Okay. Uh, first of all, um, I, I called you an idiot for... For falling for the Mr. Booth <laughs> fake thing, uh, you did at least realize pretty quickly that you that you have been gotten. All right, you went back and saw, ah, oh, it's Mr. Booth. Uh, now I was thinking, like, hmm, I I I I would have hoped that most people at this point have better social media literacy than this, to fall for it. Apparently I was wrong. Uh, maybe it's something to do with the fact that I have followed Mr. Booth for a little while and I've seen him impersonate Aquilini before and say, say things like, uh, I think like during one of those Canucks Flames games, Mr. Booth pretended to be Aquilini and was like, it's a real playoff atmosphere in here or something like that. And I <laughs> thought it was really funny. Um, but the the Photoshop on that, the construction of, uh, of that fake letter that he made, even with Aquilini's signature, at the bottom. Uh, which I don't think is illegal since he probably just, you know, copy-pasted it or something like that, was really convincing and really well done. Um, I did see immediately before I even opened it, I was like, okay, this is Mr. Booth. I'm reading this as a joke. And I was expecting some sort of, like, big jokey reveal at the end. The closest thing there was, was when he was like, oh, very excited. Niels Hoglander has joined our great core of young players like Ole Uolevi and Jack Rathbone. <laughs> I thought that kind of might have tipped a few people off, but that was the closest it was. There was no big reveal there was no big punchline at the end and that's why i think a lot of people really fell for it and you know what good work for mr booth he just wants to to (laughs) cause chaos uh, and you know what, I, I I'm fully I fully support him in his endeavors. I actually, I even think I saw him say after the fact, he was on like a work call and people were talking about, oh, gee, yeah, Benning got fired. <laughs> and he had to strongly resist the urge to be like, oh, actually that was me. I don't know if his coworkers know that he's Mr. Booth or whatever. But apparently, in a, in a, man, I can't imagine doing something like that. Because even if, if I ran an account like that, where I was like, oh, parody, oh, fooled you, or something like that. I, if it ever got to the level where people were like talking about it on the radio and people en masse were actually fooled, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. I think I might feel too guilty, but I feel like for Mr. Booth, that's his ultimate goal. I feel like he's reached the gold standard of whatever <laughs> profession he's trying to run here.
1: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I mean, yeah, how, how, the, that, 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 when I read that statement, that, you know, the, uh, Rathbone and the Levy part, I was like, yeah, wait a fucking second, but I just kind of passed it <laughs> off, and I think that goes to show my my, my impression of Francesco Aquilini um, yeah. that I was like, yeah, he'd be stupid enough to say that, wouldn't he? And then just kind of yeah. go about my day, and then frantically text you that, ah, oh, shit, he actually said that. Um, but uh, yeah, good work, good work. He definitely got me, and uh, yeah, fucking hilarious. It's really fucking funny,
0: and I love so much the fact that it was just later that night. Elliott Friedman confirmed. <laughs> yeah, Jim Betting appears to be returning again for uh, what number of season is that going to be for him? Like eighth season oh, no. as the GM of the Canucks? Oh, and they've Jesus. gone an absolutely dick all nowhere. And the funny <laughs> thing with that is after that announcement, because normally you don't really hear stuff about all players. Every now and then are like, oh, the players aren't happy with this coach anymore. They want to change. But it's rare with the GM. I think there were several reports that some Canucks players are really unhappy with the fact that Jim Benning is sticking around. Uh, and I think in their minds, it's they're not thinking as much about like Myers, Beagle, Roussel, Erickson, those terrible contracts because those players are their teammates. I think it's, I honestly think uh, him letting Tyler to slip away. And the yeah. fact that he came back to bite them in such a big way in this season uh, is really what made it, maybe made it hit home so hard for all those Canucks players. And, uh, I don't know if it was just speculation. Uh, but maybe some Canucks players will even be like, uh yeah, I don't want to stick around if Jim Benning is and may like ask for a trade even.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I stand by my uh presumption that Aquilino would be stupid enough to put like, you know, Rathbone and Olavey uh as the as the headliners if he's stupid enough to fucking keep jim benning for another season (laughs) uh (laughs) uh, yeah it's so dumb and the cloud show continues yet another year and uh i fully expect him to show up on uh well whatever equivalent of july 1st we have this year and uh you know sign someone completely unnecessary to way too much money somehow Uh, i really don't think he has room Yeah, but you know what? I thought he didn't have room. And yet here he is, like, signing, like, fucking Braden Holtby to too much money. Uh, So, you know, where there's a will, where there's a way Uh, with this, uh, you know. Maybe he'll dump some players, like, uh, some good ones. And then so to make some room for uh, some more bad ones. You never know. You never know with Jimbo. And uh, I'm excited to have him back for another season. What would this league be without Jim Benning as a general manager? Significantly worse is what I think. And uh, so, yeah, I would like to uh, let this let this clown show continue for my own
0: entertainment, not for the Vancouver Canucks Mm -hmm. fans. In such uncertain times, it's great to know that we can depend on Jim Benning still being employed as the GM of the Vancouver Canucks. Um, Once again, because of all the topics mostly playoff oriented to discuss i uh, know trivia no guess who this week probably when the first round is done and the, it's the second round and there are fewer series to discuss we will probably get back into that guess who rotation might even do some like uh, some more prospect profiles with the draft coming Ooh. up in under two months and the draft lottery coming up pretty soon on june 2nd uh that'll be interesting to see who gets picks one and two uh and I guess we'll also see who gets picked three, although that one won't be decided by a lottery this year. Do you have any final thoughts on today, or actually it's it's just past midnight now, on yesterday's Habs game one victory over the Maple Leafs or anything else?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, just more of a general statement. I mean, like, ah, yeah, just have a bunch of fun. I tell everybody, you know, like, freaking enjoy it. Because, uh, yeah, this is like the best part of the year, isn't it, for hockey? Like this first round, and I re- I'm really enjoying the way these games are going down. You know, so much excitement, back and forth, so many goals, so many fun matchups. Uh, and yeah, I'm just soaking it in, and I'm having such a great time. You know, my school is winding down. Oh, I didn't mention I got the shot today. Um, you know, so yeah, uh, got a part of got a part of Bill Gates in my arm now. Shout out to Pfizer. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, that's fun. And so, yeah, now I can enjoy the the, the NHL playoffs, the first round, while uh, partially vaccinated. And uh, yeah, even if you are vaccinated, enjoy the damn playoffs. Go get a go get vaccinated, um, but also enjoy the damn playoffs because it's a uh, it's a
0: whole lot of fun. Oh my god, I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, enjoy the playoffs because, as Kevin Bieksa would say, they're the best part of the regular season. Thank you very much. For listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast, you can follow this podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. I think maybe we'll probably try staying around these Thursdays or Fridays, uh, depending probably mostly on the Hab schedule. So keep an eye out. <laughs>